mastered by the label Double Elix Records, an independent vinyl first label based in Arizona. Double Elix Records is the label home of Yotam Benarin, Near Beer, Survival Guide, and many more incredible artists. And they'll be announcing tons of new signings over the next two months, so stay tuned! Their catalog includes everything from guitar-driven indie rock and electronic indie pop to power pop and stripped-down acoustic rock. And of course, Double Elix puts out plenty of punk rock! They love working with good people who have something to say and their favorite thing is to bring that good noise to your ear holes, especially on vinyl. Check the show notes of the episode or visit doubleelixrecords.com for more information about the label and enjoy this episode. Hey punk rock human, if you like merch as much as I do, I strongly recommend you the website epicmerchstore.com. They have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, hats, long sleeves and kids merch for more than 200 punk rock, ska, hardcore and metal bands from all around the planet. So if you like bands like Good Riddance, The Dreadnoughts, Friends of Rome, After the Fall, Diesel, Boy, Crank, Straight Line, Polly, Randy and many more. Oh, they also have a Tony Sly tribute merch. They support smaller and bigger bands from all around the world. Plus, they ship worldwide and you can have a flat rate shipping cost. Get your merch at epicmerchstore.com. Hello, punk rockers! Salut les punk! Welcome to the Punk Rocket Show episode 88. My name is Emily Plamondon. I live in Quebec City in Canada and I'm super happy and grateful to be your host. I hope you're in a fantastic mood today because I am. But if you're not, that's totally fine. But I hope this episode will bring you some comfort. Today my guest is Matt, frontman of the band Noise. We had such a great conversation. I learned so many things. I'm super excited to present you this interview. I also make you a recommendation for the band Pollen from Pittsburgh and Phoenix. So yeah, let's go! Hello punk rock friends, I hope you are doing great today. I'm recording this episode on Saturday night, it's almost 8 p.m. I spent the whole day recording some vocals for my band, Fifty Shades of Punk Rock. It is my punk rock acoustic covers duet. Because we are working on the Acoustic Covers album. So we're gonna do six songs from bigger bands that you probably know. And we are also doing some songs from six local bands. Because we wanted to pay homage to our friends. So it was a great day. I'm also... I can't wait to work a little more on my full band too, but oof. We are all so busy and there's a reason why our name is The Long Run. (laughs) But 2023 is definitely motivating for me regarding to music. All I have to do is put some efforts and spend some time on it. So maybe I should nap a little less. (laughs) No, I need my daily naps. I'm a child. 
So this week I had some fun chats with you, my friends, on Instagram, in DMs. Some of you told me that you got your NoFX tickets for the final shows. Because no, it doesn't seem like a joke. I think those shows will definitely be their finals. They started to announce some dates in the US. I'm still waiting for, for a date here in Quebec City. And I will probably go to Montreal too. There is no way I'm going to miss those shows. I'll make sure I'm going to keep you informed about that. Because I always talk to you about all the shows I'm going to. And you know what? I don't even know what's my next show. For real. <laughs> I think the next one will be in March. Hmm, that's, that's not normal. <laughs> I'm going to find one before that for sure. I want to welcome a new patron. His name is DBN Ruby. He's from Portland, Oregon in the US. He's been into punk rock for most of his life. From what I understand, I think he's 30. His favorite bands are Strung Out, Propagandy and Operation IV. Oh, you have great music taste, man. He says that he really likes the punk rock scene, the community, and he wishes me and you, to all the listeners, a happy new year. A killer year, he said. <laughs> If you want to subscribe to the Patreon page, check the show notes. I put the link. So in exchange of a little money, I, you have access to all my Zoom interviews videos in advance. So before the episodes are released. I also post exclusive stuff like behind the scenes, some newsletters, some journal opinions, letters. <laughs> Patrons has also priority for the questions to my guests, the suggesting guests. And in 2023, another of my resolution that I'm going to keep is to put a little more time on the Patreon because... I feel good doing this. Like, yes, you give me a little money. It helps a lot to finance the podcast. But in exchange, I still work for you. So I think it's a, it's the best of, of all worlds. And I'm super grateful for the Patreons, but also for the sponsors, Epic Merch Tour. And by the way, yes, they had some problems with their server, but now it's totally back. It's fine. You can still order merch right now if you want. And also thank you to Double Elix Records for sponsoring some episodes these days. I had a great feedback about the last episode with Emily Whitehurst, a.k.a. Agent M. So if you missed this episode, go back to episode 87. It was a great conversation. Repugmentation. And now it's the time for the repugmentation of the day. My suggestion for today is for the band Pollen. They are originally from Pittsburgh and I think they moved to Phoenix. They were active in the mid-90s until early 2000. And they used to play power pop and pop punk music. I'm 100% in love with the vocals. It's incredible. Double Elix Records released a vinyl pressing of their second album, Crescent, originally released in 1995. And it was remastered at the legendary Blasting Room by Bob Hogue and Jason Livermore. By the way, I really want to interview Jason Livermore on the Punk Rocket Show in 2023. 
Mm-hmm. I'll make sure it happens. <laughs> I have so many questions for that guy. So let's listen to Pollen and their song Caramel. And by the way, this song is not on the Crescent album, but it's so good. So let's go. And oh my God, the vocals. Incredible. Fucking rad. of the band Noise. Wow, this was what I call a life-changing conversation. I had the chance to talk with Matt about the band, of course, but also about street punk music and oi. Matt is working for the US Army, so we talked a lot about that. 
about being in an openly anti-racist band, about gun violence. His first influences, his writing process, his lyrics. And we also talked about <laughs> the annoying gatekeepers of the punk rock music. You know, those people who are calling us poser for no reasons. Yeah, we talked about them. <laughs> so enjoy this conversation and please... Tell me what you thought of this interview and support noise. And during the interview, you're gonna hear two songs. You're gonna hear Mass Apathy and also Passing Time from Noise. Let's go. Recording in progress. Hi. Hello, how are you? I'm good, and you? Very well, thank you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. Likewise. We've been talking about this for a long time. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I took a long break and I decided like last last minute to take a break. So I just postponed reaching people. <laughs> so but, I get it. But you were on my list since a long time. So that's today. I hope it's still okay for you. I know you. Yeah, you, absolutely. You. I'm so sorry. Just something popped up uh, later tonight oh, that okay. I needed to of but i really wanted to make sure that i did this so uh, i really appreciate you working with me sorry about that totally fine because i was working from home so i just finished earlier so it was perfect yeah i, I get to do that sometimes now too which is awesome yeah. cheers i'm having a little coffee a decaf because i'm an adult and i need to sleep at night <laughs> so I have so many questions for you today uh, we don't know each other a lot so Maybe you can start with telling me where are you on this crazy planet? I think we are on the same time zone. So, yeah, we may be. So, I uh, currently I live in North Carolina. Um, I am from um, Tacoma. Mm -hmm. uh, I was born in the South, but I've spent so much time in Tacoma, Washington. That's kind of where I claim, and that's where Noise uh, is oh, from. Yeah, uh, right, North Carolina. Cool. And maybe you can tell me a little about your personal background with punk rock. How did you discover punk rock back in the days? Were you like super young or how did it happen? Uh, I was super young. So I, um, a friend of mine, when I was, I want to say 13, um, had a minor threat uh, CD, oh. uh, which is not a thing anymore. But um I heard Stepping Stone by Minor Threat. And when I was really little, my mom used to watch the monkeys on um, the old like Nickelodeon Nick at Night deal. Um, so I knew that song from the monkeys. Oh. And when I heard that, um, it was kind of the catalyst for me really um, getting into like aggressive music. Um, and it's, it's a, a lame example for sure, but um i heard that and it just really made me want to uh learn more about it and then uh, i think punkorama the first oh, punkorama yeah. came out here um and my very good friend at the time uh travis and i we were the first kids in our class to kind of get into punk rock Um, so back then what we would do is, you know, we didn't have any money. So it was buying compilations, um, at a place called criminal records in Atlanta, Georgia, we would go and we would, um, buy each one of us would get a different compilation. Then we come home and we listen to it and then we pick the songs that we liked the most. And then we would go back when we actually had some money, um, and get 
whatever CD um, was, you know, our favorite from the artists that we saw. So sometimes it was awesome. We would buy, a, you know, we'd buy a record and it was amazing. And then other times we were like, oh, they're... Oops, I think I lost you. We would also read the liner notes. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Whatever. I'm sorry. I had a delay. You were saying that I, I think I missed like 20 seconds. You said that sometimes oh. you didn't like the, the music or... No, sometimes it's horrible. Um, yeah. <laughs> it would be the song that you liked, you know, the most, which is obviously why they put it on the compilation. And then you would get home. And I remember so many times like press and play. And then the first song would start and you just go, Oh, oh, I just wasted. Uh, so you have to save up more money and then go and then buy another record. Uh, and then hopefully, um, but you know, more times than others, um, we were just, I mean, we were discovering what punk rock was. Um, and then around that time I moved out into the country. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first show I actually ever saw was bad religion. Oh. Um, 1994 1995 um and my world changed that was the first um introduction that i had to the actual punk scene because it's one thing to listen to the music um but when you come to the show mm. i was completely um you know unacclimated to to, to how tight-knit the scene was to you know pits uh, i didn't know anything so i showed up and i was like this is this is what i want to do this is what I, you know, this is my music. Wow. Um, so that really started, uh, you know, a personal journey for me to perpetually be involved in that. Um, and so I bought my first guitar a year later. Uh, I started writing songs because I like to sing. Um, I'm not very good at it, but uh, I bought a guitar so that I could learn how to play so that I could write music. Um, because I lived with my dad by ourselves mm -hmm. and had very few friends. So my free time was spent writing songs and just kind of learning as I went. Um, and yeah, that's, that's how I got, that's how I got started. Oh, great. And you know what? I don't even remember my first show. Like a lot of people remember clearly like their first show ever. And mm -hmm. for me, it's, Blurry, I think it was a local show when I was doing a featuring with my friends. <laughs> But like, it's hard to remember exactly. And I think my first big show was something like Yellow Card and Story of the Year. I started oh. really late. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the, uh, with the violin. I remember those guys. So, and after that, uh, how did you discover like street punk and, or what made you choose like oi street punk style and how did you start noise gosh so that's a that's a very long story and i will not belabor you the uh the details but ultimately i got into the atlanta i grew up in the atlanta punk rock scene and the oi scene and i was introduced to oi and street punk um when i was about 17 18 um My, my best friend, uh, Andrew, uh, I went to college briefly, um, and he was my roommate. Um, and he introduced me to Blitz, Cox Bar, you know, all of the first wave, uh, of Oi. 
Um, and I really, I fell in love with it. And then, you know, in Atlanta, we had the anti-heroes, um, who were playing constantly at the time. Um, so I loved boy. I love street punk, but the things that I wrote because I was so, um, I guess influenced by more melodic music, um, because again, you know, I grew up in a family where my mom was mm-hmm. super influenced by Motown. My dad was super influenced by rock and roll and reggae. So, um, everything that, you know, uh, encompassed my whole like, uh, cognizance of songwriting and music was very melodic. Um, but I love the aggression of punk rock. Um, I loved mm-hmm. it so much that, um, I, I really, I started my first band when I was in, um, I was 18 or 19. Um, and it was called 42 drop. Um, and we, we, we did the best we could. Um, <laughs> I loved playing music so much. Um, and you know, I joined the army a few years later. Um, I had some, uh, we'll say I had some challenges, uh, being a productive adult. Um, and so I ended up homeless, uh, and in jail. Oh, and, uh, I joined the army. Uh, when I joined the army, I still was very, very much into the music and it's the music that I always listened to. But at the same time, there was no scene around where I was and my friends, none of them listened to, you know, the music that I listened to. Um, so I tried to kind of inundate them with punk rock so that it was cool when we went on road trips and everything else I could throw in, you know, uh, music. So the way that I always did that um, was I would always start with a fat records band or an epitaph band. Um, because I knew those were the most palatable to people that have never been included in kind of the punk rock scene, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it worked every time. Every time I could find something that they would like, that was my foot in the door into getting them into punk rock. Um, so, again, a very long time uh, passed when I was in the army and had no involvement in music whatsoever. I had a guitar. I was still writing songs. Uh, how old were you at the time when you joined the I army? Was, I was 21. Oh. Uh, when I, it was actually pretty late to join the army, typically. Um, I was one of the older guys. Oh, really? Uh, and now, because I'm actually old now. But... Um, I convinced all the guys one day uh, we went down to Columbia, South Carolina, and we saw a 10 foot pole and voodoo ghost skulls um, in Columbia, South Carolina. Who knew? Uh, and had a phenomenal time. And we had this very tight knit uh, group of us that were all into the same music, um, you know, and it was great. Um, but we ended up moving to Tacoma because of my job. Uh, and I got tattooed at a place called Tsunami Tattoo in Tacoma. And that's where I met Nate. Uh, Nate was a tattooer there. Um, at the time, I was playing in a band uh, out of Olympia. That was a always street punk band. Mm-hmm. And Nate liked the stuff that we were doing, but he, he was trying to start his own, uh, his own band. And um, he asked if I would play bass. And I came out and practiced and we decided it was going to be called noise. And it just kind of, it it went from there. We never expected anything to really happen from it. We just really wanted to make music and maybe make a seven inch. That's really, that right there was the pinnacle of success for noise. uh, When we one step uh, at the time and oh so that that's great and so you agreed to do like oi and street punk we so even if 
he we did uh, you know i think putting oi in the name of the band um kind of you know that was something nate really wanted to do we wanted to have oi in the band we wanted to be we wanted it to be an oi band but almost immediately as soon as we write it started writing songs it became very clear that our influences were so diverse there was no way that we were going to be able to confine it to mm-hmm. traditional oi yeah uh, initially um that really helped us because we didn't sound like any other oi band at the time right there, there were people at the time that were like this isn't traditional oi this isn't really they called it girlfriend oi <laughs> um i take that as a compliment uh yeah. because they also called cox um and they're one of my biggest influences but um we we never sat down and wrote a song where it was like yeah, but we need this to sound a certain way to please whatever demographic. Um, I, I write songs just as they come to me. Um, and there's never... The only criteria I have for bringing it to the band is, it, it, does it sound good? Is it a good song? Is it involved? Um, do we maximize the uh, assets that we have within the band? Mm-hmm. Right? It's never like, well that's too melodic and there's going to be some dude that watched this is England last week. That isn't going to like it. Cause it's not traditional. Like that, no shit, that, that, whatever. Yeah. Um, but that's really how we progress was we built on top of things that we were working on and trying different things. Um, and you're never going to please anybody, um, or everybody that is, mm-hmm. uh, some people won't please anybody. Uh, but, we've placed a couple people. Uh, so that's, that's really where we were coming from and, um, how we've continued to, um, to do things even now, uh, it's just, you know, what sounds good and what works for us and what we believe in and what we can look back on and say, we're, we're proud of this material.
I love that you because I, I think you were pretty young still when you started the band, so it would have been easy to stick to a genre and yeah, you know, when we're young, we we love labels a little more. We, we do. <laughs> I will tell you definitively that one of the best days of my life um, was when I found out that I don't give a shit what anybody thinks of the music that I listen to. Um, I, I think that I think subgenres are great. I think scenes are great because they they create a sense of community that's very very important, mm -hmm. right? Um, because there are kids that don't get that in school. You, you know, you're the punk rock kid, you're the outcast. It's great to have a scene, but If you let that scene dictate everything that you listen to, you are robbing yourself of so many opportunities to listen to amazing music. Um, when I was a kid, you know, the biggest the biggest insult is you're a poser. Oh yeah, and that, that could be applied to anybody that listened to anything that you weren't currently listening to, and. I missed out on so much good music because I was scared that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't punk enough. It wasn't oi enough. Um, and, you know, as I got older and I got more involved with music and really started like making friends with, you know, my idols at musically, um, I started to learn that like, wait, the guys that I love their music more than anything in the world, they listen to all this stuff. So why aren't I listening to it? Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, it just, a light turned on and I was like, dude, who, who cares if you think that I'm a poser or whatever, or this music is, you know, lame or whatever. So, it, you know, um, that was about the time I think, uh, the Lord, the first Lord, uh, album came out. And I bought that album and I was like, this is just, she's, this is genius. Yeah. It's genius. Um, and so it kind of opened the door to me, like, you know, I don't really care about anyone's opinion. And I know it's very easy to say, and we all say that, but I think very seldom do we actually believe that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like if you're talking about, you know, I don't care what anybody thinks it has to be in a certain context because you obviously care what people think mm -hmm. at some level. But when it comes to like, me and my daughter thinking that party in the USA is an awesome song and dancing to it. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> I, I couldn't give two. Sh we're going to do it. It, it reminds right? me, it reminds me when I started to host my radio show, like uh, 18 years ago, uh, it was when the popular emo bands uh, started to be very very popular, like, I don't know, Art Tornades, Taking Back Sunday, around mm. like 2004, 2005. And in Quebec, we had um, a website called Quebec Punk Scene. And we had, there, there were some uh, discussions boards that we could just talk about music. And it was like war. People were were hating each other because someone would talk about taking back Sunday or no FX and like it was a total war and I was hosting my radio show <laughs> and people yeah. were, people would call me like can you put some alternates on there and if I would do that I would receive calls because at the time I was <laughs> receiving calls <laughs> what are you doing you're a stupid poser blah 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 and it was like What? such overt ownership um, of these bands. 
Um, and they, you know, I think it's great. Obviously, I think it's great to be passionate about music. You really should, you know, because the music is a vehicle for uh, providing you with an ability to express your feelings without having to actually do it mm -hmm. because the music is actually doing it for you. Right. So it's, it's natural to be very, very passionate about it. But at the same time, it can't encompass who you are as a human being to the degree with which you have someone who you've never met in your life. That's like, Hey, I don't like this band. And you're like, I'll fight you. I'll fight you today. <laughs> right. Because you don't like a band that I like, like yeah. the band doesn't care. They, like they, they couldn't care less. Right. Um, so it's really bizarre that the whole sense of community that, you know, is supposed to be part of being, you know, in a music scene is completely negated by people having such strong opinions that they can't wrap their head around somebody feeling a different way than they do. Mm -hmm. Right. My mom doesn't like noise. Mm -hmm. She does not like my band. We're still cool. It's okay. Yeah. Like we're, we're good. Um, I, I get it. I get why she doesn't. My mom loves stadium way because she thinks that's my pretty voice, but noise, not at all. And that's fine. Um, it, it's just, you know, it's so bizarre. Um, again, we miss out on a lot of music because we're worried about what people might think about our, you know, credibility involving the scene. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it ultimately, it doesn't matter. Um, and we're also worried about, you know, <clears throat> defending bands when it, it's just objectively the, you know, the likability of the music. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's a punk rock historically has been music that not everybody likes. Yeah. Right. So it's so weird to expect everyone to like the music that you like um, when, you know, presumably you got into it because everybody doesn't like it but so you, you know, know what maybe that's why i think that reminds me something because some people are really gatekeepers so they want to make sure that not everyone will like the band uh, unless they really know it <laughs> yes yeah I, i think um you know noise uh we we used to joke that um every every release we would lose a couple hundred fans and we'd gain a thousand. Um, and we weren't doing it intentionally. It's just, we noticed that um, it's the more presence that we had and the more opportunities that we got, the more we saw the negative side of social media as far as like who we were and what we were doing, because what we were doing started to transcend the perspective or the narrative that the people that got into us in the very beginning kind of, you know, wrap their head around. Right. Um, I remember very specifically um, in about 2012, um, I started to notice that there were racists that were following us on social media. And I got very concerned and I made a very overt, um, Uh, social media posts that hey we are an anti-racist band mm -hmm. we're not we're not non-racist we're not non-political we are anti-racist yeah um i got a bunch of shitty emails from mostly people in europe um that i guess presumed because i'm in the military 
we were, you know, some sort of, I don't know. Um, I can't presume to understand what their, their line of thinking was. Um, but that kind of showed me, and it really empowered me actually with like, there are some people that if they don't like your band, that's good. You're doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I kind of equipped myself with that over the years and really considered the source as it pertains to like, you know, this person doesn't like your band. Awesome. I don't want them to like my band because I don't want them to come to my shows because I, you know, we have a very, um, we have a very diverse following and it's awesome. And I love playing for people and looking out in the audience and see everybody getting along for the most part. Um, there's always going to be a couple of knuckleheads, but, um, uh, you know, that, that, that really, uh, served as kind of the catalyst for me to, to start, um, thinking more big picture because when you start a band, like you never think anybody's going to listen to you because we certainly didn't. Um, and then when we started getting, you know, emails and messages from people all over the world saying, Hey, we really like your music. That was just mind blowing. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's very easy to get lulled into this sense of like, well, everybody likes us because we're doing really well. Um, and then when you get that negativity, it's like, wait, what did I do wrong? And so you have to be, you know, for you young mans out there, uh, you really have to like look around and it's not necessarily anything that you've done wrong. It might be that your fan base had a perception of who you were. That's completely contrary to who you actually are. So I would really encourage people to like, you know, obviously you can't dig through the social media profiles of everybody that talks shit about your band. But if it all seems to be coming from a certain demographic, right? Like the traditionalists or the gatekeepers, which is a perfect phrase for exactly what happens. Dude, who cares? It's probably probably better. You know, they weren't going to come to your show anyway because they're afraid to tell people that they came to your show because their clout in the scene goes down. So I see it all the time, the the whole gatekeeping. um, And it's, it's exhausting. I think maybe it's because I'm a little older. Um, it's just that mm-hmm. life's too short, man. You know, it, it, enjoy what you can and enjoy the music for what it is and enjoy the scene for yeah. the, the community that it creates. Um, but nobody's asking you to keep us safe from some kid that just discovered punk rock that doesn't know anything that thinks, you know, yeah, OFX is a street punk band or whatever. Just take it easy. We let them let them learn. Yeah, Teach and, them. And even the bands they don't give a shit. Like they <laughs> like they're huh. happy. Like if I, I I it happens a lot to women in general, like being called poser or whatever, but like all the bands even if the the woman loves pop music only and suddenly she likes one punk band, I'm pretty sure this punk band is super happy and like, yeah. So why <laughs> Why their fans would be pissed or, yeah. I, I honestly, you know, I don't know. Um, but it, it's, there is nobody that is watching this or that is into punk rock that was born into punk rock. Mm. Every single one of us discovered punk rock with one band. And... At that point, imagine, and I would encourage people to, imagine if you discovered punk rock, for me, I discovered my friend. Imagine 
if some gatekeeping punk rock kid burst through the door and said, you don't know anything about that music. This isn't right. You also yeah, listen to Nirvana and Pearl Jam. You're, you're a poser. Don't ever come to a show. <laughs> right? So absurd. All right. Fine. Like, I'll, you know, I won't come to a show. I still probably would have gotten involved in the music, but I would have had a very, very negative taste in my mouth regarding the scene revolving around that music. Right. Mm-hmm. I certainly wouldn't have ever started a band because I was like, these, I would have been like, these people are assholes. So I, I think the gatekeeping is really done to a large degree to their detriment. Right. Because we talk about maintaining the scene and like, I, I want to play shows and see younger people there, but that's never going to happen if there's some 35 year old dude smoking a cigarette in the very back. It's like, you don't know anything about that. Name three band, name three songs. <laughs> Why? Why should they? Ha- why should they have to? Right? My little girl has a Ramon shirt. She can't name three bands. Tell me that she's a. <laughs> tell me that she's a poser. Oh my god. She's she's learning. We're learning. So like it, it, you know, and that's not to say that everything is okay in the punk rock scene. You know, there's there are certainly things that are not uh, sure. um, inappropriate behavior is not, um, but. When I see a kid that's wearing like a Nirvana shirt or, you know, whatever, to, which is really bizarre to see, by the way, in 2022, but they're wearing a Nirvana shirt to a show. I love that because they're, they're learning. They're, they're, they're trying to figure out and acclimate themselves to something that's outside their wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what it's all about. Um, it, it, you know, I am uh, well beyond trying to get street cred for anything. I, I don't need any. I'm good. Um, you know, I, I, I am more concerned with the perpetuation of the scene and the music and it continuing to develop. And, you know, my daughter loves punk rock. She absolutely loves it. And she loves to sing. She wants to be in a punk rock band one day. Aww. So it's very important for me to, try and do everything I possibly can to foster a climate where if she decides to, to form a band, she's playing shows to people that know what's, what it's all about and know that if somebody is, you know, in the pit and they have no idea what they're doing, it's our job to take care of them. Right. Um, it's Woodstock and everybody holds hands and, you know, peace and love. It's not that for sure, but it is, it's supposed to be an environment of inclusion. Um, and I, I think the whole gatekeeping mentality really detracts from that. Uh, and it's a bummer to see it. It, it. it annoys me, honestly. Yeah. And you mentioned that you you had some racist people in your fan base and they were pissed that yeah. you made a statement that you are anti-racist. You mentioned that maybe it's because the military, the army. And I, that was one of my questions. Do you feel like there's some stereotypes that, I don't know, like, like you said, like that military is more uh, likely, no? I'll tell you, so I'll I'll say this. Um, Those comments were typically from people in other countries. Um, The, you know, I'm in the U.S. Army. We are the most diverse organization on the face of the planet. Hands down, 100%. You come into the United States Army and you're a racist, you're a complete moron. Mm -hmm. Because we are so, we are so diverse um, in our formation, 
right? So I think maybe that was a perception that developed in another country yeah. associated with what they viewed the military to be. Um, but, you know, right off the bat, you know, I've, I've been an animate anti-racist since I was a little kid, right? Mm-hmm. Because number one, my father was vehemently anti-racist, but when I got into the punk rock scene, it became very apparent that like racism had absolutely no place. If you showed up and you had that attitude, you probably had a bad night. <laughs> um, and so one of the things that I loved about the army was how diverse we were and how, you know, my friends were from everywhere. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think it's a misconception um, for sure. But um, what was interesting about it was how upset they became when, and I didn't even say anything, you know, threatening or anything. I was like, Hey, we're an anti-racist band. Just so you know, yeah, just so you know, uh, a few years ago, we made a statement about the proud boys. Mm-hmm, um, I remember that. And mm-hmm. they, you know, to a large degree, everybody was like, yep, me too. But there were about 75 people that were like, absolutely not. You guys are so stupid for blah, blah, blah. And I wanted to be like, do you guys read the lyrics to our songs? Like, do, it, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think? What do you think that it is that we're, we're talking about really? And, you know, um, I am, I am, uh, you know, I've been in the army since I was 21 years old. I still am. Uh, my service in the military to me represents the diversity and inclusion associated with our country. Our country obviously has, you know, we have our issues just like anybody else, hundred percent. Um, but when I put on the uniform every day, it is to me, um, an obligation to protect the values that keep everyone in our country safe. Wow. Period. Get into the weeds about everything else. Um, but that is the way I see it. That's the way a lot of my, you know, friends see it. Um, and you know, of course I get crap from that too. Uh, because you can't, you can't please everybody, but, um, it, it was very odd. And that, that, that actually, uh, triggered a lot of, uh, in noises early days kind of triggered a lot of hate, uh, towards us just from that very specific demographic. Um, and we thrived on it. We thought it was great. Uh, because it's like, we're obviously doing the right. If these guys don't like us, yeah, we're doing the right. We're I, sending the right message. I so, agree. yeah. No, I love that. I think, yeah. And I'm from Canada, from Quebec. We have not a very strong military, uh, I would say culture. I'm sorry. I, I might not use the, the right words, <laughs> but You're so fine. it's not like in the U.S. I feel So I'm happy to hear your uh, your perception on, about that. It's great. I, I've trained with the Canadians. I've actually jumped out of airplanes with your army. Oh. And they did a very good job. I have some Canadian jump wings. It was nice. Yeah. What's your job But, in the army? Uh, so I am a, uh, I'm a sergeant major. Um, and my job is essentially to break it down, kind of like counter weapons of mass destruction kind of stuff. Um, but mainly I just, I take care of people. So my job is really to just kind of, uh, mentor and train and then teach and leverage my experience to, to help, you know, younger soldiers. Um, that's probably the easiest way that I can, I can break it down. Yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah. my day job. And do you talk about punk rock and punk music with your uh, co-workers and it, It's really um, every once in a while, uh, there will be a noise stand that recognizes me uh, in the army. <laughs> uh, and every once in a while, someone that they're into um, and um, it's like uh, it's funny because I, I'll it's usually rancid I'm like well they're actually they're friends of ours um, and they're like what are you talking so that begins the discussion but typically I like to keep my job and my band separate um, there's my my favorite story of when that did not work Uh, was a, a few years ago, I played a show. I think we were playing with Swing and Utters, maybe. Um, and I showed up to the show, and three of my soldiers were there. And they were all very young. Uh, and as soon as I came in, I was like, how did you find out about this? What are you doing here? <laughs> uh, and they were like, we're, we're here to support you first, Arn. You know, we're, we're, we're here to, you know, I was like, all right, here, here's the deal. Who is driving? Make sure you don't get in the pit. Make sure you're very courteous and respectful to everybody. Right. And if you need anything, come and let me know. Um, so it, it was, but it was funny. Like, it was, it was really funny to, you know, because they had absolutely no idea what a punk show was or what happened at a punk show. So, you know, I remember playing and watching them kind of go around the pit and remember, you know, my paternal instinct kicking in and be like, please God, don't let them go in the pit. Because it got kind of gnarly. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I really try and keep those two things separate. Mm -hmm. um, not, you know, just because I, when I'm at work, I want to be known for, for being a sergeant major that actually cares and is yeah. competent and knows my job. And music, I want to be known as, you know, the bass player, yeah. singer. Um, I, I don't want one to influence the other. Or, you know, well, you should check this out because he's also a soldier. It happens, but that's not really, that's not why I do it. Yeah, you know? it's also um, maybe for your mental health and just because you want to focus on music only. And, you know, it's just because it feels good sometimes to do other things than job. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it's a challenge, obviously, because, you know, um, We played with, uh, we did a two, two, um, two show run with the street dogs. And I remember being in Denver and we were about to go on and I got called by work, oh. uh, to call something silly. So we actually were late coming on for about 30 seconds because I had to deal with something and the rest of the band is like ready to go. Um, so there are times when you can't really disconnect those two. Um, but I, I really do because I, I enjoy them both and I love them both. And I, I like to enjoy them in their own context. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I have a Pirates Press Records poster up in my, you know, my office. Oh. Um, you know, I, it, it is a very large part of who I am. Um, and I will blare punk rock in my office for sure. Um, but it's, you know, I, I don't... Um, I'm not the dude that meets you and say, Hey, I'm in a band. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, people come to that of their, their, their own accord and, and will come to me. And I'm usually kind of reluctant to talk about it depending on who they are. Mm -hmm. uh, but every once in a while, somebody's like, yeah, I'm into this kind of music. I'll, I'll send them a link. Um, but 
I don't really want to be known in the military as like a novelty of a guy that also plays in a band. And conversely, I don't want to be a novelty in the punk rock scene because I'm also in the army. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Too late for the podcast today, though. <laughs> no, but... I, I mean, out. I, honestly, I absolutely like this conversation because like I told you, I'm very ignorant about the military, the army, and I, I, I'm very happy to talk to someone who do both, like music and army, and I... I I think it's definitely possible. Definitely. It is. Um, you know, I, I think some of the things that I've seen and done in the army has deepened me as a person. Um, I will tell you definitively that I never gained more empathy um, for mankind and humanity as I did when I went to Afghanistan. Oh, wow. That is when I developed, I think, my biggest sense of empathy. And um, it really shaped the way that I looked at things following that. So, you know, you can say whatever you want to about, you know, the politics or everything else involved in it. Um, but, you know, from my own experience, that has really shaped who I am as a, as a man, as a husband and a father. Um, just learning to... Uh, understand that my experience is not the same as everyone else's. Mm -hmm. um, and I think some of the things that we're talking about, like gatekeeping and everything else, has a lot to do with a lack of empathy and not understanding that your experience does not encompass everyone else's. Your, your experience mm -hmm. is yours, right? So if somebody is coming to this scene or to this job or to this, you know, whatever, they're doing so in their own perspective mm -hmm. and your ability to try and understand where they're coming from is going to really dictate whether or not they stay. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it transcends any job or any scene. Um, if there's a kid that comes to a show and he's, you know, looks like a total goofball and clearly has no idea what punk rock is. Um, You can do a couple of things. You can say, well, that's not how I came to it. I would always come to a show dressed to the nines and, you know, everything else and treat them like garbage and you'll never see them again. And the scene will continue to dissipate, which you may think is great because it makes it more selective. But the bands don't because they need a couple of bucks so they can yeah. get to the next city. Right. So that whole inclusion is actually a detriment to the scene. If you really think about the totality of it. Wow. Um, same thing with, you know, with a, with a, with a job or anything else, like, you know, somebody comes to a job and, and they clearly don't know everything there is to know about that job and you treat them like garbage and they quit. Okay. Now you have to work twice as hard to, to cover for what it is they're doing. So I guess what I'm saying is like on the surface, I can understand an aversion to inclusion as far as the punk rock scene is, is, you know, because they don't want Chad from high school with a buzz cut coming into the scene, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like wrecking up and being a violent asshole in, at shows. Mm -hmm. Understood. I don't want Chad there either. But this kid that's coming in with his friends because they saw something on the internet or wherever and they're here, maybe those are people who we can possibly teach what the scene is, what it's all about, include them and, and see what they think. Um, Yeah. Because it's more, you know, objectively, again, it's just, it's more, it's more people that show up. 
mm-hmm. and bands like to play for people, you know, um, I, I've played with a lot of bands and, and none of them have been like, this was the best show ever. Two people were there. It was yeah. fantastic. Our favorite thing to do is to play for two people, um, who look completely disinterested with their arms crossed and checking their phones. That show, <laughs> like we don't like doing that. Right. Um, so the, the more the merrier, and I understand stipulations have to be put in place to make sure that the people that are coming to the shows aren't, again, being inappropriate or aren't coming there for a, you know, a nefarious reason. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, we want more people there because it just it makes sense. The promoters aren't going to be like, yeah, man, if you come here, we can probably get like four people up here. It's going to be great. It, oh, yeah. It, you know, it's not going to happen. So, again, I think building the sense of community is incumbent upon the people that go to the shows. It's not really on the bands because the band's job is to play. Mm-hmm. Obviously there's media presence can influence mm-hmm. a lot of things, but ultimately we go and play a city. The people that are there are a result of that scene and how they operate. Mm-hmm. Right. So if they're super inclusive and they don't like people coming that don't fit a certain narrative or dress code or whatever, we're playing to 10 people and you guys may be the most punk people in the world, yeah. But it's not going to be as show as if we play somewhere else and there's a bunch of people that are super, super happy to see us and like the music, even though they're dressed like goofballs. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. words. I, I want to update about the band. Uh, I think it's been a while since you released new stuff. What's up? Yes. We, so during COVID, actually, we released, we had four releases during COVID. Uh, and those were all things that we recorded the year before. Um, I had to move to uh, Texas for work um, for a year, and I knew that was coming. Mm-hmm. So we crammed and we recorded a bunch of stuff. Um, we still have about 10 unreleased songs. Um, we're working with our label um, to release kind of like, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Pushing On, but that was our first full length. And that was essentially just a compilation of everything that we had released. So we're working with Pirates Press to release um, another record that is very much the same. Um, it will in- include like things like Mass Apathy that we did with Rob from Transplants. Oh. Um, price We Pay, Lost. Uh, I'm blanking, but there's, there's so many other things that have not been on an official release that we're going to put uh, on this record. So there's a lot coming. Um, and we're talking to some different people to actually produce it. So it sounds a little bit different than the, the typical uh, noise record. Um, but it is all, it's there. It's in works. Uh, we will be playing punk rock bowling this year again. Yeah. Uh, our first show in three years. So no pressure. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're, we're really looking forward to it. We really hope that um, that will be kind of the catalyst for us playing more stuff. Yeah, and uh, you, you told me like um, while we were chatting about this interview that your writing process is a little different. So how is it going? It, What's your so, process? Yeah, our, our writing process... Uh, I, I write songs by... Um, a riff will pop into my head and I will hum it. And it's not really a hum, it's like... <laughs> so I will do that. Um, and it's usually in line for something. Um, so I'll be in line at the grocery store. Uh, I was in line to get food in Korea. Um, I did it in Afghanistan. I've done it in Iraq. I, like I, I will, something will pop and I'll just start developing 
excuse me, the, um, the chord progression for it. Wow. And if it's good and I think that it flows really well, I will keep doing it constantly until I can get to an instrument to actually play it and get it recorded. So once in Korea, um, we have a song called what happened to the kids. I wrote that on a mountainside in Korea with, there were no instruments, uh, and there were none for about a month. Um, so I just kept every day humming it and reminding myself of what it sounded like. Um, and then the first thing I did was when I got my guitar, I, you know, played it and made sure everything, you know, makes sense. Um, what I will do when I write is I'll write all the music. Um, I'll write the bass, the guitar. Um, I will have kind of an idea of what the beat should be, but Kenny is an actual drummer. So he's, you know, a lot of times he takes it and he's like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And he, you know, does real drummer stuff, which is nice. Um, but I try and get it as complete as I possibly can before I bring it to the band. So um, they come to me in waves um, and it's sometimes kind of challenging to, to make sure that I remember all of the nuances of everything. But Jesse, um, for a very long time, was a sound engineer. So when noise practiced, we could literally record anything we wanted oh. to. So we would show up and I'd be like, hey, here's a new song. Here's how it goes. We jam it a couple of times. We'd make a recording. Everybody would take it home, figure out how they liked it and what they wanted to put you know, on it as far as the spin. Um, and then we come back and we record it. Um, very little, you know, very seldom did we play uh, songs live that were not recorded because I never knew when I was going to have to leave for work. Mm -hmm. So our thought process was if you got a song recorded now, like right now, let's get it recorded that way. If I have to leave for however much time and it served us very well during COVID, um, we never know when we're going to need some releases to keep the momentum going. Um, so yeah, our last, our last release was, uh, 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to say there was price we pay. Um, but yeah, again, price we pay was another one where it just, I just did a kind of, and, you know, I annoy my family with that, obviously, which is, you know, part of the fun. Um, and then, uh, again, just kind of keeping that in my head, um, as long as I possibly can. So I don't forget, cause I can't tell you how many songs have not been recorded because I forgot them. Um, I wrote one four days ago and it's gone. I, I, I forgot, I forgot it. But um, I, I love the, your process and because no matter where you are in which conditions you can memorize you, you trust your brain a lot, even if, okay, sometimes you forget, but Like, because yeah. a, lot, a lot of people, also, a lot of people tell me like, oh, I have a melody in mind. I grab my phone and I take a voice note, blah, 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 blah. But yeah. I, so I started doing that, um, you know, but ultimately I think the way that I write songs because of my job has really helped mm -hmm. um, when things are bad and, yeah. you know, um, you're in a position that you don't necessarily want to be, mm -hmm. you can focus on that melody and focus on that, that music. And it is a great way to get through things that are, you know, um, extremely anxiety producing. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, just like music has always been a vehicle for me getting through things that have, you know, hurt my behavioral health. Um, writing songs also, it, you know, opens that door to things that I can kind of, part of my brain can focus on this while the rest of it is focusing on what I need to do. Um, but that, you know, what's, what's great about, you know, noise is, uh, when I do that and I write and I have everything in my head, the way that I think it's supposed to be, I bring it to the band and everybody does something different than I had in my head, Mm -hmm. but not once has it been like, Mm. Mm. it's always like oh my god that's so much better than i thought right so um we have a song called passing time um and when i wrote it and i showed it to kenny kenny uh our drummer was like i mean that's okay we'll record it and you know i was like oh that sucks (laughs) because i really wanted him to like my head, I was like, this is going to be a really good song. We recorded it. And when Kenny heard it for the first time, he was like, this is a really good song. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I mean, obviously I gave him $20 to say that, but <laughs> um, even after he spent the $20, he still thought it was a good song. And I'll never, we, we played in Paris. That was our first show that we played in Europe. And you know, just to kind of illustrate my point, I didn't write any solos for that song. I just wrote the song and Jesse came up with this hook for the solo. Um, and when we played Paris, I could not hear him play the solo because the audience was singing the solo so loud uh. that uh, we couldn't hear anything. We just heard the audience go, da, 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 in, I'll never forget it as as long as I live. Um, And it it just, to me, that kind of illustrated the fact that like, I'm in a band with guys that like bring so much to the table that, you know, it, I'll write whatever, but it's not going to be the same song when they get a hold of it. And that's really why it's a band, you know, effort. It's not me saying, no, 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 I, I need you to do exactly this. Um, I don't need to do that because everybody in the band is, you know, talented enough to where it, 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 it the band is essentially reliant on them being able to do their own thing. So, um, yeah, Paris, France, I'll never forget it. Also, that was one of the hottest shows we've ever played in my entire life. Oh, yeah. That was the last show where that I wore pants. They have big uh, heat waves there sometimes. But maybe it was the venue. It was the venue that was hot. It was well, it was summer and it was underground, and there were a lot of people there. We, uh, it was such a great show, though. And you know, I, I figured like it's the first show of the European thing, so I'll dress up. You know, I wore pants, which I don't typically do for shows. <laughs> um, and I remember getting out onto the stage and looking at Nate and going, um, "It was very, very hot." <laughs> Uh, it was so much fun. It was so amazing. I mean, just to just to get the opportunity to go to another country and have yeah. people sing along to music that you wrote in your house. Um, I don't know. I don't know how people ever get used to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Obviously, we haven't played as much as like you know real bands, but <laughs> real bands. It's just it, you know I, I I say it all the time because we're not really a real yeah. band, but I, I think that. 
it's um, that in and of itself um, should sustain you as a songwriter and an artist to like continue to do things because it obviously matters. It matters enough that like, you know, putting people in a position where they feel the same way about your music that I felt about the first punk bands that I, or I still feel when I get into new bands because yeah. I, it, there's nothing better. I know. And I'm an old well. dude. There's nothing better than getting into a new band and just wearing them out. <laughs> like just listening yeah. to them over and over again. I, I love it. I do it all the time, but yeah. um, knowing that, knowing that you've been able to get somebody through anything with your music, um, it cannot be compared to anything else. And it's just, it, it's um, an indescribably good feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's great. And so you were talking about writing anti-racist lyrics, but what else, what's in your mind these days that you would like to write about lyrically? Because you, um, you talk a lot on, on social medias and it's always super smart. And I, so I was curious about that. Well, that's a low, that's a, low bar to set but i appreciate that um so i so i'm a really big believer in using my experiences to help other people right whether it's you know my job or um whether it's music because music really gives you a vehicle to do that um my concern uh with using music as a vehicle to um not influence but let's say educate mm -hmm. people on um The, the, the manner with which you view society. Um, it's very dangerous because if you come at it with, this is how I feel and you're stupid if you don't feel that way, right? Um, you create this kind of, you know, polarizing dynamic where it's us versus them and everything else. And I don't think that you really solve any problems that way, right? Mm, and that's, that's not to say that- That's a Andrew, poison these days. Yeah. It's not to say that we have to pander to people who are, you know, homophobic, racist, sexist, whatever. No, yeah. We agree about that. Yeah. To, to me, I feel like there's a demographic of society that is essentially unsalvageable, right? If you're an overtly racist, oh, it's yeah. not my job to make music to be like, no, man, you're actually wrong because, nah, we're good. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't have time to do it. Um, what I really want to encourage people to do with, and you know, Nate feels the same way and his lyrics are objectively better than mine. Um, it, it's providing people with a different perspective of what is going on and letting them come to their own conclusion based on kind of how we see it. Mm -hmm. So when we write lyrics, it's not like I feel this way and you should feel this way too, or this is bullshit X, Y, Z. It is. I, here's kind of how I'm seeing it. Right. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to convince anyone. Uh, I am not, uh, trying to cast aspersions on anybody that feels differently, mm -hmm. but I am using language that I think kind of articulates, um, where I'm coming from and the way that we see things in kind of an ambiguous form, because if you get too specific, because a lot of the things that we, we sing about, can be applied to all kinds of things, you know, um, lost, uh, you know, writing that, um, you know, mass apathy is a great mass apathy is probably the best example. Uh, I wrote mass apathy after, um, which school shooting was it? We have one every 30 oh, minutes, but so it, sad. It, uh, yeah. 
it was, I, you know, I, I'm a father. Um, I have two kids. Liam is 12. Paris is six. Um, trying to think about the fact that I could drop them off at school and never see them again um, mm. is absolutely terrifying. Um, so I wrote Mass Apathy, not about gun control. I wrote Mass Apathy about gun violence mm-hmm. um, and our inability as a society to have a conversation that actually solves any problems. But I knew when I wrote it, as soon as we did it the way that we did it, there would be people who attacked me for saying being anti-gun because this is America, right? Oh yeah. It absolutely happened. hundred percent happened. Uh, I got, got messages saying, you know, second amendment, um, but it kind of proved my point. Um, just me saying that I'm anti-gun violence. There are some people who would immediately associate that with me being 100% anti-gun. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of a weird narrative given my job, right? I I shoot guns pretty regularly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So what we did with with mass apathy, uh, and I love that Rob was able to do it because he's one of my best friends. I love him to death. Um, But what we wanted to do with it is we actually opened it up and said, Hey, we're going to donate all the proceeds to this record to a charity. And we would like you guys to pick the charity. So the charity that was chosen was a mental health organization. Um, and it was great because, you know, pirates press allowing us to do that, which best record label in the world, uh, allowing us that latitude to be able to do something like that with a record. Mm-hmm. Um, it empowered us to kind of give the narrative back to the people that are listening to it. Like, what do you guys think this song is about? Right. Um, so the, t- the top two uh, charities that were picked were mental health and victims of gun violence. The most benign thing you can possibly think of, but there were still people that got really upset mm-hmm. because you guys are attacking guns and this is about gun control. And it's really not. No. Yeah. Read the lyrics. It's, it's about the heartbreak associated with turning on the TV as a father and seeing that there are a bunch of families who their lives are, their lives are over. Uh, um, It's, it's just so bizarre that people can see that and their first, their first narrative or their first talking. Yeah. is, well, we need more gun about guns instead of talking about gun control at all. But, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. to your point that you tried to make 45 minutes ago when I started answering this question, um, was I, I write things as um, objectively as I possibly can so that it encourages the listener to come to a conclusion that they may not have come to otherwise of their own accord and not, you know, me telling you how to, you know, think, um, Nate is very good at that as well. Um, so what we will do is we'll say, Hey, you know, I, the music is already written. Typically the songs already recorded. And then Nate and I will sit down and say, let's do something about this. Hmm. Right. Um, Nate is much better at, writing lyrics he usually writes his well beforehand and then i'm like in the studio going 
Um, but that's that's kind of how we, we we come to it. Hmm. I can't wait to hear more uh, new stuff. Uh, eventually, it's gonna be great. Uh, well, for sure. Yeah, good. And I see that you go to some shows. I saw that you jumped on stage with uh, Wisdom in Chains recently. I did. Um, I, I so I did. Wisdom and Chains asked me to do um, some guest vocals for them several years ago. Um, and so I got to do Wisdom and Chains, one of my favorite bands. So was, I was super excited. Mm-hmm. And um, they wanted to do the video for Already Dead. And I was uh, in Missouri for work in a hotel room. And they were like, we're trying to figure out how to do this, you know, with you not coming to Philadelphia. And in my mind, I was like, just bring me to Philadelphia. That would be amazing amazing but um the reason the video was shot the way it is if you've ever seen the video it's me on a cell phone um because i literally recorded all of my parts on a cell phone in a hotel room so they were able to in their genius figure out that my parts would be an actual cell phone um so yeah you know i just happened to be around philadelphia for work the same time this is hardcore was going on so it was the the first time i was able to actually sing my verse with them um live and it was awesome that was actually the first time i've been on stage in about three years so it was fun oh wow so you're probably very excited to play punk rock bowling and get on the stage again and with your bandmates because i don't think you see them really often huh your bandmates No, no, no. We uh, now we live all in different parts of the country. Yeah. So Kenny lives in Seattle still. Uh, Jesse lives in Arizona. Nate lives in San Diego. So we're all over the place. Wow, it's gonna be a fun reunion party when you can finally. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Matt. It was such a great conversation for real. Thank oh, you. Oh, I appreciate you so much. I'm sorry we had to keep delaying it. I'm sorry to make you do it a little earlier than you thought. But again. It's no, a great it's perfect, perfect. I, I'll have the night yeah. to, to do, like, uh, I think I'm going to clean a little and just enjoy TV. So, good. I'm going to try. Paris just got home, so that may not happen. Uh. Um, she's she's going to be here pretty soon. I'm surprised she's not already upstairs. Uh. But um, thank you so much. Thank you for what you do. Like, it, oh. it really is important um, to, to, keep, to get that message out. Oh, um, to you. give them a vehicle to actually hear the things that you know, some of the bands that they like have to say. So what you do is very important. Thank you um, so much. And please keep doing it. And you know, I learned a lot. Like uh, today I learned so many things because of you and it made me have reflections and insights. So it's totally mutual. Thank you. I appreciate that um, so much.
listening. Thank you to Scott Hallquist for co-producing the show and editing. Thank you to Caroline Morin for the beautiful weekly visuals. Thank you to my friend Jean-Philippe Alain for the team song. If you want to support the show, yes, you can subscribe to the Patreon, but if you don't want to spend any money, there's a lot of other ways you can support the show, like, for instance, sharing the episodes on your social medias and tag me, Punk Roquette. You can write a review and give it five stars, if you mean it, of course, on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Thank you to our sponsor, Epic Merch Store and Double Helix Records. And thank you, my friends. I'm excited to be back next week. But until then, punk your life.